Blog Talk Radio. And as usual, things are not working. Anyway, this is Marty Oakley of the PPJ Gazette Online, and this is the TS Radio Network. Our show tonight is the um, end of the year show for the USDA Hour, and we've been following all year what's going on there. Um, it's just been, uh, oh, I don't even know what to say. Um, it's been a, it's been a hard road. Um, we've come through this election. I don't know what your political slant is and don't care. Um, either way, whether Trump stays or goes or Biden gets in or he doesn't, we're sunk as a country. We are sunk. I firmly believe that we've traded one set of problems for another set of problems. One of the things we need to watch out for this year is gun control. They are going to try to disarm us. And as my friends in Australia say, they did that to us some years ago, and the crime rate went through the roof. And now the people we have to fear the most are the police. And we have no way to defend ourselves. And that's exactly what they're intending for us. So keep your eyeballs peeled on that one. And... Reminder to everybody, these shows are brought to you in coordination with Marcel Reed and the Whistleblower Summit, an annual event in Washington, D.C., and we'll know more about that when and how as we progress through this next year. Uh, With everything with this faked-up virus, um, I don't know what's going to happen to us. But all that aside, uh, our show tonight does center on the USDA, what's going on there. We've we've got numerous guests coming on that Lawrence is going to be speaking with. And by the way, my um, somebody's got their phone on speakerphone. Please take it off. Um, it, it cuts back through the line. But anyway, um, we are somebody. Please stop. Um, Lawrence on, Lucas Marty. is my co-host. Yes, I know you are, sweetie. I can see you. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Is my co-host, and that's Lawrence. And uh, Lawrence, I'm going to let you pick it up from here and take this where you need it to go. Okay. Uh, what we plan to do tonight, and we'd have some very interesting guests that we have had on before. We're going to kind of do a year in review, uh, talk about maybe one of the biggest events that happened in 2019, and 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 I would like to get from each one of our uh, speakers tonight, um, and that is Michael Stovall, a black farmer from Alabama. Thank you for being on, Michael. Uh, we also hopefully will have Lloyd Wright, a uh, Virginia farmer, retired civil rights director at USDA, and uh, he's now working to head up a number of farm groups uh, talking about farm policy. And we have uh, Julian Hishaw. Hopefully she's there from North Carolina, attorney, author. She's going to be talking about her book. And I think we have uh, Wayman Henson also on tonight, and he will be talking about uh, the documentary and all the things that he's been involved in uh, during the year working with the Coalition of Minority Employees and the rural as well as the urban farmers. Um, I, what I'd like to do is start off with maybe um, that being an introduction. What I'd like to do is start off with, um, and, and by the way, Wayman, what I'd like for you to do is uh, we thought we could put in and plug the black documentary in, but it, uh, Marty said technically it won't work, so you're going to have to uh, uh, speak uh, to and through that. Um, I would like to have Michael Stovall, and I want to make sure everybody is on. Uh, do we do we have uh, Michael? Are you there? You still there? Yeah. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. He's still there, and Gary, uh, is uh, Lloyd yeah. right there? Yes. Okay, and we have uh, Julian Hishaw. Are you there? Uh, Julian, are you on online? If so, let me know. Yeah, she was. Yeah, she yeah. was. Okay, she's yeah, there. She's there. I was gonna say. And and we have. I uh, want to make sure that Wayman Henson is still there before we get started. You still? You there, Wayman? I, I think he's he... probably because he told me he would come on. So. Um, I think he'll be in if he's not on already. 
Um, yes, I'm here. Like, okay, you're there. Okay, good. What we'd like to do is kind of do a year. We came out of last year of 2019 feeling very good about where we were going, and we started the beginning of an election year. And the one thing that we were able to do was we were able to work with Elizabeth Warren, and I think that should be part of our conversation tonight, about the good work that she's done in bringing about what we now know to be the Justice for Black Farmer Act of 2020. We also have an election, and we now have uh, a, a president-to-be, and we need to talk about the work that we did, both uh, good and bad, uh, as it relates to uh, trying to work uh, through the many issues and, and get our issues and concerns before the Biden administration. But um, I would like for each one of you to take five or eight minutes and then we'll go into a general conversation. And I and I thank Marty for allowing me to have this many people on because uh, we want to have a conversation and we're going to try to get through this uh, with everybody participating and people can feed in, hopefully. Um, Michael, can you give us a brief rundown of what you think the where we started and where we are now as it relates to the issues dealing with black farmers and USDA? Good afternoon. My name is Michael Stovall. I'm here in Town Creek, Alabama. I'm a farmer. Um, really, I'm so impressed about this bill, and it's, it's so inviting and overwhelming to, you know, to see. And after being 29 years almost of discrimination to USDA, to see a bill is this powerful, that it would help a lot of black farmers that land has been taken, wrongly taken, and their families. So I'm very impressed about the bill. I'm very impressed about um, Senator Warren and Booker to take on this issue because nobody else would to resolve the, the pain and the suffering of black farmers across the United States of America. So I'm very impressed. I can't, you know, say no more than that, but I'm so impressed that this bill is finally coming, and I'm seeing it, you know, I'm 57 years old. I started out, I was 29, and I'm seeing it, you know, materialize at my time, so I'm so excited So to see something happen that should have been happening a long time ago. Thank you very much. Okay. Um uh, Mrs. Julian Hishaw, uh, she has a book out. She'll tell you about the book. But, Julian, uh, in terms of where are we uh, as you see us, and how does the book uh, play into what is going on now uh, that's positive, hopefully, and what do you think the, uh, the outcome of this legislation, uh, what good do you think it can, can, can do for black farmers, and is it a bill that you feel as though uh, talk, does it does your book cover some of that? And do you think this bill and some of the things that are going on today in Washington politically is going to help black farmers? Yes, I do. Um, the book is systematic land theft, and it's just the basically a historical documentation of um, the history of land theft in this country, and it tells the nuances of how European settlement impacted um, property and basically created property law, um, because before Europeans came here, there was no demarcification or state boundaries. Um, there was no per personal property laws or taxes, and um, how those laws have been utilized to present day to consistently take um, black and indigenous land is basically the crux of the book. Um, when it comes to the legislation, I have read through all 78 pages, I believe is the length of the, of the um, bill. And I have three pages of amendments um, that I would recommend Um some things, um, overall, it, it is um, a great piece of, of legislation. 
but um, there are things that need to be put in place because there are um, ways the USDA can get around, you know, how the bill is written um, presently. And one thing is, you know, race judicata that could be used um, as a way to dismiss a lot of these black farmers' cases. Um, Another thing to me is really defining what a black farmer is. Um, And so those are just a few things um, that that I did, you know, find, um, you know, missing from the bill. But overall, I think that it can definitely, to some degree, right the wrongs of the past. And um, hopefully um, the Biden-Harris team, um, you know, will be open to to the legislation. And, uh, of course, the newly, uh, whoever's appointed to the, to the secretary position. Okay. Um, uh, Lloyd Wright, um, you've been around, and thank you very much, Ms. Hitchell, uh, for those comments, and we'll get into the dialogue later. But, uh, Mr. Wright, you're, you've been around for a long time, and this legislation that was introduced uh, on the floor approximately a, a little over a week ago now, uh, that, that which is the Black Farmer uh, um, Act of uh, 2020, uh, justice for black farmers and from your viewpoint in terms of where we where we came into the year and where we are now can you kind of reflect on that and give us some of the things that you think are good and going in the direction going in the right direction and tell me where we're not going and where we're not going in the right direction i appreciate that okay uh yes um Lord. overall i think it's an excellent bill and 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 I've read all eighty pages a couple times, and uh, there are some changes that will and should be made. And 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 I think like with any bill, uh, once it's introduced, there'll be you know hundreds of amendments, both in committee, you know when they have the hearings on it, and uh, and others will introduce amendments. So yeah, there are some places. Uh, you know, Lawrence, where you and I discussed some things that we might <clears throat> think about amending. But I think the over, as I look at it, I look at it from an overall standpoint, and the, the the kind of things this bill is trying to correct are on the cutting edge. And you know, some of them are things that we haven't had anyone before try to address openly. And and for example, uh, this is the first bill that I've seen that um, suggest that there should be uh, land grants to, to black farmers, you know, as they were to white farmers, you know, 150 years ago. And and so I think there are some details, and we need to fix some things as that come along. But I think the concept of, of putting that out there for discussion and uh, to recognize that, um, you know, uh, those who have land now and have had land, to use to purchase other land and, and, and accumulate wealth uh, uh, back at some point didn't pay for that land. That land, Much of that land was were land grants that were given to these farmers when blacks were not uh, given land. We were either, either slaves working on land or we were uh, through Jim Crow where we didn't, uh, you know, we did sharecropping or whatever. So I think uh, from uh, from my standpoint, Lawrence, I, I think uh, it covers some major things that need to be addressed. I think there are some details that will come in later. I think it addressed what needs to be done with the Civil Rights Office, with him, with you know, providing some oversight and and um, and 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 and, um, and, 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 and reorganization, uh, collecting some of the information we need so we know how to manage. So I think I, I like that part of the bill. Um, it, it addressed Pigfoot and that, you know, the farmers who signed up for Pigfoot thought they were going to get uh, three things, compensation, debt relief, and prior to future services. And uh, most of them received $50,000 uh, out of the 16,000-plus uh, farmers who 
uh, were successful and picked from one, only 371 of them received debt relief. And most of them will tell you that debt relief was more important than the conference, you know, the few dollars. $50,000 will, will buy one tire from the combines they're using now, not not t- not two. Um, so certainly um, the, 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 the compensation was not adequate, and some of the farmers are in worse shape now than they were before Pigfoot because they didn't make payments on the loans, and with interest and penalties, they owe more now than they did before Pigfoot. This bill addresses that. Uh, it addressed future loans uh, and, and availability. It addressed uh, uh, helping the the uh, the the, uh, the 1890s and, and, and uh, black universities, uh, so they can provide. It sets up a training program. So I think the way I look at it, it it's it, 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 it's an outstanding bill in that it put forth a, a number of concepts that are needed. To start to uh, address, you know, some of the uh, the, the past oppression of, of blacks and black farmers, and and then I, but I will agree that there's some uh, refinements necessary, um, but but they're, they're going they will occur as we uh, all work on it now that it's out for discussion. Okay, so that's thank where you. I am. Okay, thank you very much. That's good because uh, those people listening who don't know the details of the bill and and some of the most uh, poignant uh, points that the bill make, I'm glad that you were able to summarize that. Okay, thank you very much. Let's go to, uh, before we get into the discussion period, we have uh, Mr. Wayman Henson. Uh, Mr. Henson, along with Sean um, out of New York, uh, Sean Hill, uh, putting together with the support of the of the uh, Tillery Farm and Gary Grant, uh, who assisted in making possible a Black Farmer documentary. Um, Wayman, tell us, give us a little historical perspective as to why it's important that you all are doing this documentary. And and we're going to talk some more in detail about it during the general discussion. Why? Where did the support come from? Why is it important? And what result do you think? And when is it coming out? Thank you, Wayman Henson. Uh, honored to uh, to be on the radio with all of you tonight. Thank you for uh, looping me in. The uh, the idea for the Black Farmer documentary uh, had been. Uh, cooking, so to speak, for several years with Sean Hill and me. Uh, each of us, in different ways, had attempted to raise funds because these sorts of things do take a lot of money. And so through uh, uh, our partnership with Gary Grant and the Black Farmers and Agriculturalists Association, we were able to um, write into a grant that BIFA got from the Cypress funds. We were able to carve out a piece of that over the course of two years, partial funding for this particular documentary. And then uh, family and friends across the country uh, doubled that amount, which allowed Sean and me to, 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 do the, to do the work. So the filming took roughly two years, and the documentary is based upon nine stories of nine black farmers and their families who were among the 15 black farmers who prevailed against the USDA and DOJ between 1997 and 1999. And and I find it fascinating that Jillian's book is coming out, this particular documentary is coming out, at the same time that the uh, Justice for Black Farmers Act of 2020 is coming out, because each of these pieces tell nuances, nuances of stories that make for a whole that would not be the case if the other two weren't there. So if we go back to uh, 94, when I first became involved in the black farmer movement, these farmers had been discriminated against by uh, the county committees. Uh, it was called FMHA at that time, called F- FSA now. Uh, they were doing an egregious number of things repeatedly against these farmers. And so these farmers won their cases. 
And as they won their cases, they both um, won compensatory damages, uh, but that was quite varied. They were promised debt relief, and none of these farmers say they got it. And then they were also promised priority of services, and none of them said that they got it. And so when we look at those stories of nine, those nine farmers back in the 90s and we pull the threads of that up to this very day, the same phenomena are going on. Uh, we were told here several weeks back by somebody within the Trump administration that there were 17,000 black farmers who were on the verge of foreclosure. So foreclosure has always been uh, a crucial thing for, for black farmers. And, and much like Lloyd said, the farmers who were under – so the, the, the nine that we interviewed are part of the film were, in essence, kind of pre-Pigford. Our opinion is that there would not have been a Pigford had it not been for these Davids who were willing to go up and fight against Goliath. And so you fight against the federal government, uh, you're not going to win very often. So these 15 farmers did win. These nine that we interviewed did win uh, to varying degrees. And then as we as we look at the film, which will be coming out over the next month or so, we hit some uh, uh, technical snags. Uh, we wanted to add some outtakes, some additional photographs, some additional footage of Sean and me reflecting upon what it was like to make the film. Uh, we have been accepted into two film festivals, one in California, one in Texas, and part of that requires that we make a poster. So we have actually, this is maybe more than anybody would want to know, but we've gone back to the drawing board, so to speak, and re-envisioned the DVD cover. And so uh, I have in front of me uh, what the cover is going to look like, and it's it's going to be breathtaking when we see it. And so when we look at what the documentary is intended to contain, the stories of the farmers in their own words, and we put that against the larger context of the presidential campaign, and we look back especially at what the coalition did in challenging Senator Warren, that her heir's property thing in total was not the explanation for black land loss. And so the coalition stepped up, lengthy letters to her, engaged with her. And so she came out with an incredible policy uh, that is still on the book, so to speak. You could go to the website and look for it. And then when you look at this particular legislation, Elizabeth Warren's fingers are all over this legislation. And so when she gets Senator Booker involved and they get Senator Gillibrand involved, it turns out to be what I think is one of the most pivotal pieces of civil rights legislation since the Civil Rights Act of 1964. So going to tell the stories that happened in the 90s, but these things of land loss and egregious mistreatment of black farmers and fear of losing their land is still going on to this day. It hasn't changed. And so what we want to happen is for farmers to get debt relief, uh, to get land, and we want them. Uh, we want the USDA to be to be changed from the inside out, for there to be systemic changes, so that the lawyers aren't. Uh, the, so the lawyers aren't there telling the civil rights people how to adjudicate civil rights complaints. So that's that's kind of a brief summation of how I think they fit together, Lawrence. Okay, thank you very much. I think one of the one of the most important. Uh, items about this bill, the fact that many people are asking, um, may ask or wonder why, and maybe take issue with the fact that this is a bill that designed specifically for black farmers. Um, I would like for you all to chime in and tell our listening public um, because this is not a bill, this is not a reparation bill. This is a bill what I consider is, is depict and is long, is long overdue. And we're talking about equity, and we're talking about justice for black farmers. Uh, that's the way I see it in a nutshell. But tell, 
tell our listening public, and I want you all to kind of chime in with each other, and and I can sit back and listen. Why is it important, and who, whoever wants to speak is fine. Why is it important that we have a black bill, a bill for black farmers, and why are we still in 2020 talking about? The fact that the U.S. Department of Agriculture, which is called the last plantation, is still discriminating on black farmers, is still foreclosing on black farmers, is still not settling cases of black farmers. They're still not getting uh, debt relief. They're still not getting service. And the most important thing is that they're not getting resolution of a host, if not thousands, of cases. Can you all chime in here and tell 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 the listening public as to why we have such a bill. Why is it important? Why couldn't it be for why isn't it, why isn't it for women? Why isn't it for uh, Native Americans? Why a black bill at this time that deals specifically with the discrimination and racism at USDA against black farmers? Uh, come on, anyone, speak up, please. Well, I'll, I'll yes, uh, uh, okay. Okay. Well, it, 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 and many many bills will have a section called findings uh, that will precede the bill. This one does not at this point. Maybe it will. And the findings would normally outline why the bill is necessary. And and I think in this case, if you were writing the, the findings, uh, I think you would start off with the 400 years of oppressions of blacks who were slaves, uh, many of the other kind of groups that find themselves included in social disadvantage were not slaves. Some of them had slaves. Um, uh, they, uh, where I grew up, you know, there were two schools. Um, one, and, and, and I'm old enough to have gone to all segregated schools except when I got my master's. Uh, so all my, and including college, I never attended a class with a, a, a white student until I got my master's. And, 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 and there were two schools, one for white, one for black. And, and, and I didn't see any of the other groups in those schools that I went to. So if they went to school at all, they didn't go to black school. And if you look at the policies of Jim Crow and the definitions, if you go back and look at the definitions of, uh, that they used to define the folk that they discriminated against, um, uh, in the deep south state of uh, Virginia, of where I was born, um, if you were 164th black, you were considered black, and therefore uh, those kinds of disservices that they inflicted on us um, uh, were inflicted on those folk. It didn't include those others. So the the point that I would make in finance, and, and then if you talk about the Jim Crow, the, the stealing of the land and all the other kinds of things, um, I, I don't think having... Uh, a bill for blacks intend to discount the fact that all people should be given equal services. But I think at some point in time you need to address the past in order to take some corrective action so that you can give some uh, level of playing field for a group of people. And if you throw all groups in and try to write a bill, uh, you'll end up with nothing. And and, and, and I, I tell folk that it uh, it upsets me when I hear uh, over the last few weeks that one of the problems that uh, on the on the Indian reservations they don't have running water in many cases. And as much as we've done to hurt, uh, you know, the, uh, the Native American population, and not be willing to spend the money after we took some of the best lands from them where they had water, so that they could have running water, uh, is it, sinful. And so I'm not trying to suggest that blacks are the only ones who have been wrong in this country. Certainly Native Americans have. But to put a program together or a policy together to address uh, both Native Americans and blacks wouldn't fit either in that the situation is quite different. You know, and I think we should have a program to address uh, the, the, the needs of, 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 of Native Americans and, and where we find them. But we need to address the situation and have the findings to address how we got to where we are and what their present situation is. And, and it's quite different than it is for blacks. So I think this, this is designed to deal with that issue. If there are other groups out there 
uh, you know, whether it's women or Asians or whoever that have issues that this government have done them wrong on, then I, I think if they, uh, uh, they have a bill to address those needs and make corrective actions, that would be very appropriate. But in this one, and in, in the longest term, and, and I've always said through my lifetime at least, when you really come down to, uh, to racism, it's primarily black and white. And that, that's the way it's been up until, if you look at the census, they didn't count anyone in the census before 1990 except blacks and whites. So uh, I think we need to address the black situation, and we need to address the others. But to try to mix them in this bill would be the first step toward doing nothing. Okay, okay. Well, um, thank you very much. I think that's a good clarification. Michael Stovall, you're a black farmer. Uh, from your perspective, you've uh, marched up and down uh, from Washington all the way to Louisiana and east and, east and west of, of all those uh, those states. What What is your feeling about this bill? Why do you think it's necessary to have a bill that identifies and deal with uh, the justice and the, and the taking of the land and the wealth from black farmers. What's your view on that? Well, my view is uh, we lost over 15 million acres of land because of discrimination of this agency. And this agency has a non-discriminatory policy that they don't even uphold. And I have seen farmers, when I first started out, I was 29 years old, those farmers died at a young age because of the struggle of what the USDA had put on them. And uh, even myself, with a finding of discrimination in a breach of settlement agreement and ongoing discrimination cases that never was settled, the USDA has destroyed many families, black families across this country, destroyed their lives. And they, and they act like they don't do nothing. And the OGC plays a big part in it. And Bill Sepp played a big part in Joe Leonard. When you have, uh, they had over 14,000 cases under Barack Obama's administration, and Mr. Wright went in there and decided which cases that needs to be resolved and um, put a bill together, a plan, and put a bill together that went through the House twice and never went to the Senate. And you know, it's just a problem. Only body really tried to do anything to address the problem was Clinton administration. But, you know, this is long overdue how black farmers have suffered in this country. When you go when you drive by a black farmer's farm, it's all grown up and they got a little piece of tractors back in the seventies and the sixties. When you drive by a white farmer's farm, it's all pretty and lavish and all this kind of stuff. It just it's just it's just sickening how you sit there and you see that and these farmers out there patching on that old equipment and they can't even get it to run. And it's a lot of it's because of the USDA and the position of the USDA have put them in. And a lot of these farmers lives off the subsidies. You know, um, the subsidy payments help uh, keep the income, help keep the seeds in the ground, help keeps the tractors going and the fertilizer and the oil. So without those payments and with the government adjusting the, you know, the, they have a lot to do with what the market is. And if the market is low, you have to use the subsidies, and they give you lesser subsidies to the black farmer and they do the white farmer. Um, it, it, those are the things that you have to deal with as being a black farmer. Uh, if you go into the USD office, you apply for a loan, you ask for 200000 and they give you 140000 And there's not enough money to carry over. And knowing all the time that you qualify and your income is high enough to get the loan that you request, and then sometimes you don't even get the loan till after planting season. So those are the type of things they do to keep you behind the, behind the ball so you can fail. So my experience with that is the chicken houses. They gave me less amount of money that I needed to get the chicken house up. Then at the end of the year, I had asked for additional money at the beginning. They gave me the, the additional money at December the 26th at the end of the year. Each year was the end of the year so I can lose my 
chicken uh, contract. So those are the type of things they could continue to do to destroy black families across this country. That's why we lost so much land, over 15 million acres of land. That's a lot of land. And that's why it's very important that this bill passes. It's very important that we get enough support for this bill. Thank you. Okay. All right. Thank you. Um, There's another question out there, but I I would like to – Ms. Hishaw, you've you've been involved – uh, with this black farmer issue, um, do you think that um, uh, uh, such a bill is necessary, um, or what questions? Uh, uh, what What do you think about the bill and its chances of uh, passing at this time and in this uh, political uh, environment that we have today? Well, I'm definitely um, not a politician, so, um, you know, I I really don't know that. But what I do know is um, I did work a year uh, within USDA in the Office of Rights in D.C., and then I've worked in state, Missouri Department of Conservation, and as an environmental planner for the city of Kansas City at home, and I've had my nonprofit for close to 10 years now. And um, there is definitely services needed. Um, there is a distinction between the demographics when it comes to farmers. Um, I work with not only black farmers, but I've worked with um, native farmers, Hispanic farmers, Asian um Hmong and Vietnamese, and also um, recently uh, native um, farmers, particularly in in Northern California. And I do agree with Mr. Wright. Um, There is a distinction. Um, A lot of tribal nations have received millions, billions, actually, dollar settlements um, from the federal government under... um, Reach a contract under cr- treaty agreements, um, and so that's of course just drop in the bucket for those tribal nations and you know their loss of land and way of life. But when it comes to black farmers, we need similar settlement agreements. We need similar um, legislation or, or what have you. And you know we do have a settlement agreement actually, and that's Pickford. But unfortunately, those settlement, you know, those the terms of that settlement agreement, you know, have been breached. They have not um, been in, in enacted. Um, the, you know, none of the Farm Bill recommendations from the CRAP report and things have been implemented within USDA um, and OGC, and that's a problem, and it will continue to be a problem. And in the book, um, especially in Chapter 8 and 9, I particularly focus on black farmers. And just in the history of it all, it really doesn't matter which party is in office. Um, it's really based on, you know, the individual and who they appoint as secretary. And that pushes the envelope, as, you know, more of you know than I do. Um, when it comes to policy under USDA, because to me, USDA, out of all of the um, departments, USDA is very local. It's local enforcement. I mean, you can, of course, everything trickles down, but but it's definitely local enforcement, especially with these FSA committees and, you know, the approval of loans and who sits on the committee and that whole process. It's all local. And so um, I think that, you know, not only, you know, people often focus on, oh, you know, federal, D.C., D.C., but um, what one thing that I, another thing rather that I do like about the bill is that it addresses the local FSA committees and the makeup of the committees. Um, And so that definitely is something that needs to be resolved. And, you know, I have my nonprofit for seven years now, and we're working with farmers right now. And these are farmers in their 80s that, you know, USDA are foreclosing on. 
um, during COVID. Um, and so it's definitely a stressful time um, this year. Out of all of the 15 years that I've been working, you know, half on my own, half in government, um, this is the worst year for black land loss because, you know, I know the conversation is focused on USDA, but the way my family lost land, it, our farm in Oklahoma, it wasn't because of USDA. It was because of a dishonest lawyer and, you know, a tax lien. And we sent the lawyer money to pay the taxes, but he pocketed the money and the land was sold in a tax lien sale. And I think that that's something that that it, it's not addressed is the whole tax lien thing. And I find that just as much land that's, you know, lost to USDA, to me more is lost through tax liens. Um, and that's something, of course, that needs to be addressed on, you know, individual state level. But... Um, that's something that that's happening right now because when people lose their job and most black and brown folk lost their job, well, what happens? You can't pay your mortgage. You can't pay your property tax. And that applies to farmland. And so a lot of these farms that are legacy farms are now on these tax lien roads and they're being sold left and right because tax liens, are quarterly, and in the southeast and in the northeast, the tax lien sales happen in the fourth quarter of the year, and that's now. And so that's um, also something that that I'm seeing here on the ground. Mm -hmm. um, so thank you. Okay. Well, thank you very much, Lawrence. Um, yeah, Lawrence, could I could I jump in and, and share? kind of a perspective on what this is like at, at the local level. Yeah. Uh, Jillian and, and Lloyd have both commented about, uh, and I as well have commented about things at the local, at the local FSA county level. And when, when farmers vote their prejudices, so to speak, I'm a white farmer, and then I'm going to vote my white friends onto the county committee. And white county committees are going to favor their own color by comparison to others. And then when when loans that could be given to purchase land aren't because of the color of somebody's skin, then that's a problem. And then what happens at, also at the county level, one story that I heard that was really pretty riveting was that this black farmer was in business with another black farmer. They, it was a, they, they were working together. And when the bank called the note for uh, uh, on, on on the land and on the property, and the USDA was a part of this, so the USDA was part of it, the bank was a part of it, and long before the farmers ever knew that they were about to be foreclosed upon, the FSA folks knew it, the bank knew it, the bank, the local bank guy knew it, and the implementation company, the tractor company, knew it because those folks around the black farmers were already, they, they knew each other's business. And so as these dominoes began to fall, it eventually fell upon the black farmers. And when they had, had the sale, uh, white farmers came in and grabbed their land at pennies on a dollar, and then white farmers came in and also snagged their equipment for pennies on the dollar. So when you have a $250,000 combine and it goes for $20,000, somebody made off like a bandit in that. And when the black farmer is farming some really prime land and it's rented land, and we know that white farmers are looking over their shoulders saying, when are you going to let me have that land? And when the, when the black farmers go out of business, guess who gets the land? Uh, and then one more story is that uh, a farmer that we know, a pig farmer that we know in uh, North Carolina, uh, like Michael was saying, that the FSA is, is notorious for delaying your loans. 
uh, or they'll give you half of what you need, or they'll give it later. They won't uh, give you uh, 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 help with uh, expertise and that sort of thing. In one farmer's case, he finally got the loan less than what he asked for a year later, and the FSA kept on figuring out reasons why not to give him the land and not to give him the money. And by the time the money finally came in, all of his piglets were dead. So he, they, they had destroyed about two years of pigs in that operation. And you mm-hmm. can't go back and rebuild a pig operation when all of your pigs have died. Okay. Yeah, okay. So, so, so those are some of the machinations at, at the local level. Okay, thank you. Lauren, the, but, can, yeah, can go I, ahead, Marty. I, was, I want to ask a question. It's a little bit off what we're, we're focusing on right now, but this keeps running through my head. I keep hearing everyone talk about the Office of Civil Rights. I want to know exactly what this office is supposed to do, because near as I can tell, on all the topics I have covered dealing with them, they aren't doing anything other than wrecking people's lives. What is the purpose of this office? It seems to be totally dysfunctional, or it's something else hiding under that title. What is going on with this? Anyone chime in, Lloyd? Well, well, I I probably should try to answer that. Um, Since I was the director of that office for two years, um, (laughs) and I would hope that during those two years, we might agree that uh, it was functional. I think the cases that you are going to write up in your book, uh, the cases that occurred that, that, that I settled when I was director of civil rights, and uh, I think most of them, if not all of them. Um, but what the officers should be doing a couple of things. Uh, it's there to, um, uh, on, on, on more of a negative side to some extent if you have to deal with complaints, but it's there to address the complaints coming from employees and farmers or program, not just farmers, um, and, uh, and, and, and determine whether or not uh, the uh, employees or farmers uh, have been discriminated against in violation of federal law. And, and, and if, if they find, have a finding uh, of discrimination, uh, then they are compensated for their losses. And there's a, a ceiling for employees, I think, of 300000 Really, we don't have a ceiling for farmers. We could give them $50 million, but I, we, no, the department and OGC is never going to let you do that. But, but that's part of that job. The other part of that job, which is uh, there's a, a, a compliance provision. And, 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 and when I became director, we had, I think, nine uh, 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 staff members in the compliance division. And they hadn't conducted a compliance review in about three years because when they get ready to go out to look at uh, an agency to do a compliance review in the field, they would ask the agency for money for travel. And the agencies never had money for that. And, and so they didn't do. Uh, when I became director, we got our money direct from Congress and not from the agencies and, uh, because the agency, none of the agencies wanted com- com- compliance reviews. And and we did some compliance reviews, uh, you know, uh, but they should go out. And some of the problems I heard people talking about were people at the local level ended up with the land. If if that is in the system, I mean, in the county committee, end up with the land, a compliance team can go out and discover that and hold those people accountable. Uh, we sent a compliance group to Georgia, and we had a few complaints around the area. We found that there were more farmers discriminated against in that county where we did the compliance review who did not complain. More, there were more folk who didn't complain who had been discriminated against than did. So we would never have known that without a compliance review. So there's a compliance section uh, that's not being, to, to my knowledge, I, I doubt if it's being done. I don't know if it's been done since I left the office. But they still have a division there, and they may be sitting at the desk doing it, but they're not doing compliance. Uh, what they do not have and what this bill would do is they need accountability. You know, we, we, we pay out millions of dollars for discrimination, but we never fire employees. 
You know, we allow uh, county committees to end up with land uh, that they knew about and maybe set the guy up. Uh, one of the things that we often overlook on the loans, um, uh, most of the blacks who got loans that I looked into when I was director of civil rights had what we call supervised loans. And that meant that you had an operating loan, but you couldn't spend the money without concurrence from the office manager. And in one case, uh, in one state, the farmer had uh, worms in the soybeans. He went to the office to get approval, and the office manager was there but would not um, open the door. Uh, and, then, uh, and then later on, when, when uh, the beans had been consumed, he gave the guy the money and he sprayed. All he had was another bill because the beans were gone. Now, he claimed uh, uh, you know, uh, a whole bunch of things when we looked into it, but the truth of the matter is he held that guy's money until it didn't matter. And then let him spend money that didn't matter again because once the beans have been consumed, you don't need to spray for the worms. But but there are not many white farmers have supervised loans. So you, you think you have a loan, but you really don't because there's another third party that makes the decisions on when you can spend that money. You, they won't let you spend it early enough in some cases to get the best seed, to do things timely. and And that's something that you know, again, need to be looked at. Okay. So th- 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 those are some of the functions of the Office of Civil Rights. Uh, civil rights yeah. should not be involved in trying to help find markets and and, and uh, do training and a bunch of other things some of the offices have gotten into. They don't want to do civil rights, so they do other things. And, um, and most of the time when you find them doing something other than those kind of things I just talked about, uh, they're trying to find something to do since they don't want to do that job. Okay. Okay, Lord, thanks a lot. Uh, one thing that I got out of this conversation as it relates to civil rights is that the, the USDA, the Office of Civil Rights is dysfunctional, and the Office of General Counsel, who is supposed to uh, litigate for the agency is interfering with the process. But there's another subject that has come up, and I think it's going to come up more as this bill um, moves through the Senate and through the House, hopefully, um, if not now during the the uh, lame, lame duck section, maybe during the new Congress. Uh, we've been hearing, and I want, we got about eight minutes to go, uh, we've been hearing that what all this bill and all this talk around this Justice for Black Farmer Act, we hear people that tell us, and it's being resurfaced now uh, as we speak, that that what we are asking for black farmers, the urban farmers, the, the group of urban farmers and the group of rural farmers, uh, numbering over 100 around this country, is saying we're hearing that the bill is unconstitutional. And either one of you all, and I want you to be short so that um, someone else can get in and feed into this as well, because we only have about uh, another seven or eight minutes. What, what do you think about this comment about what, we had, what is being sought at in this bill is unconstitutional? Okay, anyone want to address that? What's unconstitutional uh, when you lost... Go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. I, I'm just going to say, uh, pardon me for interrupting here, uh, uh, Michael, that the, the, the first time that we ever heard that what we were asking for was unconstitutional was when those of us who were members uh, representing the coalition were involved in a conversation with Joe Biden's team. And one particular member and advisor of Joe Biden's policy team said what we were asking for uh, was unconstitutional under the law. And so um, at that point, that theme began to resonate very deeply through so many different things. And we found that particularly reprehensible because a lawyer would know about these, uh, about Pigford and Garcia and Keep Siegel and, and Love and that sort of thing. And so for an attorney to say that you can't advocate on behalf of black farmers because it's unconstitutional made absolutely no sense. Made no sense that day, and it still makes no sense. 
Okay, okay. Um, anyone else want to feed into that? Because this is going to be a subject that uh, we're going to be dealing with uh, in the days and weeks to come. Um, what, what, uh, Lloyd? You got any feeling on that, or uh, Michael? Well, well, I, yeah. you know, uh, I don't think okay. uh, it, 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 dealing with race uh, is, is certainly not. I mean, uh, for the last 400 years, except for 64, uh, uh, race was written into in a negative way to impact black folk. So if we violated the law uh, uh, for, you know, 300 and uh, – Fifty of our year, a year for three hundred fifty years, then let's violate it for fifty more, and 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 write blacks in. I I, I don't I you know I don't believe that it is unconstitutional. And and look, OGC uh, the folk who wrote the bill uh, that uh, the, the lawyers who were writing this bill would have told them if they thought it was unconstitutional. And and oh. and, and both those uh, both senators, all three senators, have lawyers in their staff. Um, now you know they 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 are not trying to uh, be a court uh, judge, but but they 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 know they know what they're like. Uh, I I I just uh, I don't pay much attention to that. I, I don't think uh, I don't think that's the issue. Okay, um, Julian and uh, and and uh, Stovall, we got about two four minutes left. Uh, can you all give us a, what what is your feelings about that, Julian? Well, um, just, you know, what Mr. Wright said, I concur. I wasn't involved in the drafting of the bill, um, but, you know, the lawyers there are competent, and so they know that it's legal. I mean, they wouldn't draft anything that's legal. And then also, you know, you also have to look at the history and look at the um, particularly regarding um the section regarding the land grants of 160 acres, well, that was a part of the Homestead Act of 1862 and 1866. And so, you know, those acts are legitimate. And so if they were legitimate during, you know, that time for Europeans, then they should be legitimate now. Um, And actually, um, one of those acts, um, I think it was, it finally closed out. Um, one one man got uh, several acres um, in Alaska and staked a claim in the late 70s and, and was awarded land for free in Alaska in 1984-85 during the Reagan administration. And so you can look at that and say that it wasn't too long that the federal government closed out the Homestead Act. And so, okay. you know, it it can be extended to this. Okay. What uh, what is your feeling about it? Uh, uh, this issue, Michael. Well, what's unconstitutional to me? We lost 15 million acres of land, and you got a the U.S. Department of Agriculture that has laws and regulations, and they set up there and allow all these decades of farmers, of black farmers' lives destroyed and families destroyed, and the black wealth taken away from them wrongly. So anytime you have an agency, a government agency, and they have policies and procedures and they don't follow them, that's unconstitutional. Okay. Um, Marty, how much time we have, but do you have any questions, Marty, um, with regard uh, no. to? We're down to about a minute and a half here. Um, this has been a really good show, very informative and we do have a large audience, and uh, I, I want to revisit this. This is our last show for USDA for the year, And uh, but when we come back in January, Lawrence, I'd really like to redo this, revisit it, and see where we're at, especially if Biden does get sworn in. Like I say, either way, we're, we're sunk, but um, that's my opinion. But uh, if we could do that, would that be okay? Yeah, I'll be fine, and I want to thank uh, all the guests for uh, doing this very busy period during uh, this uh, virus uh, pandemic. I want to thank all of our guests tonight for taking time to come on to the show and being very candid and very honest and very forthwith, and uh, we're looking forward to working 
continuously on uh, this act, and uh, we're going to um, we're going to make sure that that uh, this act as best possible to move forward, and we have all the support from people like you around the country. So I thank uh, all of you all for coming on tonight and adding to this conversation. Marty? Yes. And I want to remind everybody these shows are brought to you in coordination with Marcel Reed and the Whistleblower Summit. And we will be back in January with more on the USDA. Thank you, everyone, for coming on tonight and being so considerate, not talking over each other and all the stuff that usually goes on when we have numerous people on. Uh, That made it a very interesting uh, and good conversation. We'll talk to you all in January again, hopefully. Everybody, thank you for tuning in, and have a good evening. And Happy New Year. Thank you. Thank you.